What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us today on the latest edition of the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and hanging out on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And today, we are bringing you our official season preview show, the preview of the 2017 football season, which, thank God, is just around the corner. But first, just a couple of quick reminders for you out there. Uh, you can follow and share your thoughts with us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, you can also... Uh, share thoughts. Check us out on the Glory UJ Podcast Facebook page. And for those that don't necessarily do the social media thing, you can also contact us through email at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so we always welcome you guys interacting with us on any of those platforms there. And for those of you who are regular listeners to the show, you know that we typically do our listener mailbag shows at the end of the month, at least we have during the off season. But with next week being game week, which is awesome to even just say, uh, but with next week being game week, we are actually going to go ahead and do the mailbag show on Thursday's show of this week so that we can dedicate next week to predictions and previewing the Appalachian State game. So go ahead and send in all of your questions for that show on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever works for you guys. And also, speaking of mailbag shows, during the season, we're going to try something a little different this year. You guys have done, you guys have just been incredible in sending in awesome questions all off season long. Um, really, I think every time we had a mailbag show with Kurt, we had to do two shows, right, during the offseason? So far. Yeah, so far. So the response has been awesome. So during the season, to kind of give you guys a chance to kind of stay with us and interact with us during the actual season, we're going to try to do a weekly mailbag for the midweek show to give you guys a chance to interact and kind of make your voice heard on what's going on during the actual season, which is what we all are really actually interested in anyway. Uh, and for our newer listeners, you can also uh, always find us on Dog Sports Radio. But if it's easier for you, you can also access all of our shows, new and old, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on the Stitcher and TuneIn apps. And we always um, are into constructive criticism. We appreciate you guys that let us know what you like about the show. And even if there's something you don't like, that's cool too. We definitely try to make this show for you guys and uh, give you guys what you want. So review the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever. Uh, just let us know what you guys think. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, all right, with that out of the way, let's move into today's show. Uh, we will move into our season preview here momentarily, I promise. But first, we have just a few quick weekend news items to run through, starting with the commitment of Peach County's Kiris Jackson, who is the 128th ranked player in the land, according to the 247 composite ratings. So, Kurt, just real quickly here, I want to start with a couple of these news items. What, When you look at Kiris Jackson, what kind of player are we getting in him? I think we're getting a solid piece not an, that's not an immediate contributor, but someone that's going to allow us to build some more quality depth and, you know, be someone that, you know, will probably be a junior or senior that we can rely on as an upperclassman when the time comes. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, would you call Kyrus Jackson a special player, like potentially special down the line for us? Um, Maybe as he develops and gets older and matures, but not an immediate special impact. Yeah, look, okay. when I say special, I'm talking about a guy like AJ Green. I mean, that's incredible. That's like no, as special no as it gets. That, but I think he could be definitely um, a piece to build around, but just not yeah, he could be a contributor. Be the game changer. Yeah, exactly. I don't see him as a look. And this is no. I'm not trying to hate on Kier Jackson. I'm thrilled we got him. It's going to be a great piece for us. He's a really talented player. But I, I, I like the word game changer. I don't necessarily see him as a game changer for us, especially at least not early. Maybe as his career progresses, there's there's so much time out there for him, for him to progress and grow into the player he's going to become. So we, it's really hard to predict that. But from what I've seen from him so far, I think he's a really good player. He's a talented player. He's definitely a guy that can contribute. He deserves a scholarship to the University of Georgia. He's a guy that that absolutely all day long is a take for our program for sure. Um, but. I, I don't know if he's that special type of talent um, who's going to be transcendent or even a game changer. 
I think he's going to be a really good depth piece for us. And he gives us, he does give us a body type that we don't necessarily have on the roster right now. We have some guys that we have a bunch of, like in the 2017 class, we signed a bunch of bigger guys, right? 6'2", 6'5", bigger guys. Yeah, I don't think there's a single one under 6'1", really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you say Blunt, maybe. He's close to 6'2". He's like 6'1", 6'2", somewhere in that range. You got Lander, 6'5", you got J.J. Holloman, 6'2", Webb about 6'1", 6'2", somewhere around there. But we didn't really sign any bodies that are pure slot-type receivers. And we've been working Webb there a little bit, but we didn't get a ton of those guys. We got mostly outside-type guys, uh, that body type. But Jackson, and we also have some guys on the roster right now, like Miko Harbin, Akil Crumpton, Terry Godwin, who are more built for playing in the slot. But they're they're... They have slider builds, I would say, where Kyrus Jackson has your typical, maybe uh, the height level and skill set a slot player would bring to the table, but he's also got a thicker body type, you know? So yeah. we don't that combination of that, that slot receiver skill set but his thick body type, we don't have. So he's definitely going to bring something to the table that could be useful for us. I just uh, I caution people in thinking that he's going to be you know a game-changing type talent right off the bat, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve to play for us. He absolutely does, and we, we should definitely be excited to, that he has – pulled the trigger, and jumped on board the 2018 class. Uh, so and let's also talk about real quick, this past weekend, it brought us the annual Corky Kell Kickoff Classic, an event that many, many moons ago I played in a few times, uh, way back when. Uh, but obviously, with this being the preeminent high school football event in the state of Georgia, there were many of our commitments our current commits and also guys that we're still after our targets in action. So Kurt, I know you had your eyes on those games much of the weekend. We were texting a little bit about what was going on. What were some of your takeaways from the Corky Kell kickoff classic? Um, I'll say, I think we actually have a future dependable kicker on the way. Dude, Um, Kamarda is, he's for real. Yeah, that guy has a leg. He might punt and kick for us. He literally might do everything. He he can do it all, and that's why I think he could be a Mr. Dependable. I mean, the guy's already showing it. I mean, that 52-yarder was good from, what, 58 at least? Yeah, um, that one field goal, yeah, he made it from 52, but it would have been good from way more. Yeah, I mean, I'd say at least Um, 58-59. And uh, I'll also say I think uh, Erickson's going to be a pretty solid pickup for us. I think he's just a nasty guy. A sleeper guy, guy, man. Nobody talks about him. Everybody wants to talk about the guys that haven't committed yet with DeAndre Hill and – with Jamari Salyer, but Erickson looks good. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, I think he's a very underrated guy. I think he's going to be a solid piece for us. Um, and those two guys, you know, really jumped out at me because they were already commits for us at the time. Were um, you up early enough? I think well, the game I think the game kicked off at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. Did you watch that Tucker game with Josh Van? I, I watched a little bit at the end, really. Um, you know, I, it's just one of those things I really wasn't interested in. Yeah, I, I wanted to see Josh Fan. And look, I, look I'm going to be real, guys. We're probably now. I, I think we're done at wide receiver with the two guys we got with Elijah Moore and Kyrus Jackson this week. So I think we're, we're going to move on from Josh Van. I think we would have taken his commitment. Uh, I think it was probably. I don't have any inside knowledge here, but just if I'm looking at looking at it from the outside, looking in, I, I, I I'll go back to what I said last week. I think we probably told Moore and Van whoever commits first has got that spot, right? And I think Kyrus Jackson has been silently committed for at least a month or so now, from what I understand. And Moore pulled the trigger, so we took him. And that's cool. I think Moore and Van, I don't think there's too much of a difference between those two. But Josh Van's a good player. And if he doesn't go to South Carolina, they're going to have they're gonna have themselves he a player. He ended up committing there. Huh? He ended up committing. Yeah, I, I saw they committed, but if he actually stays with that commitment, I guess is what I'm saying. If, if he actually ends up staying with that commitment and, and doesn't roll in South Carolina, like they're going to have themselves a good player. They're going to have themselves a guy that can do some things. And, and I, so, look, I mean, we can't get them all. We can't take them all. But uh, he, he's especially someone who you know he wasn't okay with just being in the slot, right? And, that, and that's the and that's the word. That's what we've kind of gotten for, through all this is that he wants to be more than just a slot player, and that's fine. 
maybe he can play on the outside some, but I think he's he's definitely much more of a fit. I think it fits his skill set, and I think he'd be much more dangerous from that position. But if he wants to try to play outside, by all means, you know they they do that with Debo Samuel some over there. He's I guess a similar body type. Although I think Debo is a little thicker than than what Van is, but he's a good player. And I'm not going to dog him just as we didn't end up getting him. But uh, I'm glad I'm happy with the guys that we got. But Van looked pretty good. He's an explosive player there. Although I will say, by function of the offense that he plays in, he just doesn't run a ton of he, a, a different routes. He he doesn't run the entire route tree in that wing T modified wing T kind of offense they play. He runs a lot of go routes, uh, runs a lot of screens with him. But when they get the ball in his hands, I mean, he, he can do things. He's a good player. But, yeah, it's fun to watch some of these. I was really hoping that uh, Dominic Blaylock would play on Saturday night, but uh, they held him out, so we didn't get to see him. But, yeah, it was, it was good to kind of see some guys out there. Matthew uh, Matthew Hill, right? Yeah, from Brooklyn. Yeah, from Brooklyn. What was your take on him? Because he's now committed uh, to Auburn. We never offered him. What was that? Overrated? Overrated, honestly. Um, Especially... Georgia, we were wanting him to come in and, you know, really just – I think we wanted him at DB, and he's just set on playing wide receiver. Well, we never offered him, I mean, at least well, yeah, publicly. The only way we were going to offer him was as a DB, and he just wasn't – that wasn't what he wanted. Yeah, and I know – I mean, you and I are from Gwinnett County, so we, we, we know some people around there, and there's people that just – they're not su- super thrilled with the fact that we didn't – that we never offered him while teams like Auburn and other SEC opponents and rivals are offering him. He ends up obviously pulling the trigger and going to Auburn, or at least that's where he's committed to right now. We'll see if he actually ends up there. But I was okay with never offering him because to me, where is he going to play? Okay, I, I don't know if he's a true wide receiver, and if he is, I I like Karis Jackson and I like Elijah Moore better than him. We're only taking two receivers in this particular class, and at DB, we just have guys higher on our board right now. So I, I understand if you know. You, People say, "Well, he's an in-state guy. How can you let him go? He's from the Metro Atlanta area." I get all that, but sometimes you just got to go with your go with your board and trust your evaluations. And he was just a little bit further down the board. And you watch him play, you kind of see why, don't you? Yeah. I mean, he's a good player. I'm not going to try to completely dog him. Mean, he's a good, solid player, but he's he's kind of like I mean, I, I would take Jackson over him, but in the same vein, is he a game changer for any program? I don't know if I see that. Not at the SEC level. But all in all, it was fun to sit down and actually watch some football. We look forward to this every year. We used to go to it. Remember we used to go to this all the time? Um, and we never missed it. Yeah, we never, ever missed it. But the past couple of years, it just kind of got uh, – and now I will never – if it's out there that Georgia State Stadium every year from now on, I, I, and I don't know if that was a function of Mercedes-Benz not being quite ready or maybe the rent's too high Mercedes-Benz or you know whatever costs too much, I will never go if it's out there because it's just too freaking hot. I mean, I'll go, I'll go sit in the heat like that – for one of our games, I'm not going to sit out there for high school games. You sit out there all day long, and plus you got to drive to Atlanta. I freaking hate Atlanta. I'll stay in Athens. So and now that's on TV, I, I'll watch it on TV. I'm not going to go down there to Atlanta, watch that junk. Too hot, way too freaking hot, man. Way too hot. All right, well let's uh, transition from the news of the weekend into our official preview of the 2017 season. Obviously, look, like we have been previewing the season on some level all off-season long. It's kind of what we've been doing, talking about different topics. You know, we ran our scout in the enemy series that looked ahead to all the different specific matchups we're going to have, like a very early look at that. We've talked players, we've talked schemes, coaches, everything. But on today's show, what we want to kind of do is take more of a big-picture look and bring it all bring it all together, kind of bring all those various conversations we've had throughout the off-season, kind of bring them all together. So I'm going to start off, again, it's a big picture here. I'm going to start off with a very big-picture question here, Kurt, because, you know, this kind of – this kind of came to my mind last week when we did our bowl prediction show. We had uh, listeners send in their, their bowl prediction for the season, which you guys did, again, just killed it with that. Did awesome. It's an impossible task. You guys just absolutely killed it out there, so we appreciate that. But we had quite a few people predicting, you know, with their bowl prediction, 11-1, and one, had maybe one or two throughout a 12-0 and 0 season. But we also had a guy, I think it was Harry, um, who 
we're saying that we're going to finish seven and five again for the second year in a row under Kirby Smart. And it kind of got me to think because I, you know the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say that we're going to finish seven and five, but is that completely out of the realm of possibility? Like I don't. I'm not sure it's completely out of the realm of possibility. We were we were better than seven and five team last year, but we still finished seven and five just because. The way the, the ball bounced and some of the d- dumb decisions that we made down the stretch of some games that we probably should have won. So, but I I think this team should be better. But to sit here and say definitively, one hundred percent, there's no way in hell that we're going to finish seven and five again. I don't know if I can do that. I, I I do think there's a way we could possibly finish in that same area, seven and five, eight and four again this year. But on the other hand, I also think it's possible, not likely, but possible that we could finish maybe 11-1, even in a crazy outside shot at 12-0. I don't think either side's likely. I don't think 7-5 is likely. I don't think 12-0 is likely. I think probably somewhere in the middle, and we'll talk about our predictions next week when we go through uh, the divisions and talk about where we're going to predict every team finishing. I'm kind of in the middle there, but Kurt, if we had to look at the extremes, 7-5, 8-4, or 11-1, 12-0, what are we closer to? Is this team closer to a seven and five, eight and four type team, or closer to an eleven and one, twelve and zero type team? All right. See, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say I think we're closer to eleven and one, twelve and zero. And I think the reason is, you know, one thing they talk about how we were seven and five last year, and we were only what like eight points away from being worse than that. But at the same time, we were also ten points away from being eleven and one. Right. Yeah. And here's the exact numbers. I'm glad you brought that up. So. Uh, let's see. Last year we were five points away. We were three point loss away from Tennessee, one point Vanderbilt, one point to Tech. Five points away from being ten and two last year. But you could, on the, like you just mentioned, on the flip side, you could also say with the Missouri game, the Nickel State game, that we were we were six points away from being four and eight. So last year's team was an a, an okay team that could have gone either way. We could have been one of those ten, ten win teams that shouldn't have had ten wins, like maybe the 2015 team with Grace Lambert as a starter. But we're also one of those teams that could have finished finished, finished up the season being four and eight that had no business being four and eight. So kind of I guess where we finished seven and five kind of it seems to maybe fit. So why are you leaning more towards the eleven and one side of this? Um, I think the biggest thing is I think our team is better this year. I think another thing is the maturity that you're going to see throughout this team. We had a lot of young guys uh, playing last year in major important roles for us, and at the same time, I thought you, there was a little bit of immaturity from our coaching staff also. Yeah, um, that's fair. You know, trying not 100% sure of what we had and you know it like we've talked about it, it was a little bit too late at times the change of who we were and what we wanted to do with our team and I think that was a little bit of you know our coaches not being together long and not having a long time with this team either and I think you're there they know what they have this year or at least they have a lot better idea know what they think that they can do with this offense with the defense um and I think you're gonna see that um really take place as, as in this during this year because you're gonna see our game plans a lot different because I think we have a better feeling of what we can do and how to attack teams, um, which is going to help us this year going forward. And at the same time, I think one of the major things is there's, I mean, yeah, we have some tough stretches, you know, like where we go Florida, South Carolina, Auburn, but there were some really tough stretches like last year where you went across, you know, to the West two, two weeks in a row, then you come home and play Tennessee. Yeah, at um, Missouri, at Mississippi, then come home and play Tennessee. Yeah, that was a tough stretch. And I think that was one thing that really hurt us and. um during that time and and you know when in that when our toughest stretch like that i think that may be one of our toughest stretches we at least have a week off before florida and then the south carolina games at home where that's a tough stretch we had two away and then we had come back home finally and that that's not as much the case this time and i i just think that with the experience of this team knowing what we have and i think we build some gaps um from last year that have really that we're going to see going forward this year 
Yeah, I think we definitely have better quality depth across the board. I and I also just have to say, I don't know the caliber of the teams we play as much as, you know, what we played last year. I know Auburn's going to be improved, but they were still pretty solid last year. Uh, Florida was a lot but better. But we did get I, Auburn when they were completely devastated from the injury perspective. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm getting that, but I'm still saying their defense was Yeah, their defense was, was salty. So I don't know how we even moved the ball at all on that team. Um, and so that defense was, Somewhere. you know, different. Um, you're gonna see Tennessee take a step back. You're gonna see Florida take a step back. But I also um, you're gonna see. And I know we didn't play Notre Dame last year, but that's gonna be a much better team than what they were last year. I'll well, say yeah, that right I, mean, I agree with that. But at the same time, I also think that um, the major thing is that it's gonna be early in the season for them, where they still have a lot of uncertainties. They have a lot of injuries, so that it doesn't allow their guy. I mean, they have one guy returning now after their uh, other defense lineman got injured. They have one D lineman returning, so they, you know they're gonna have a lot of experience where. I'd be more afraid of them later in the season as those guys get better and yeah. more comfortable. I would say South Carolina is probably going to be better this year, too. They have, a new, they have new coaches. On, I, I, I think both both coordinators one. are new, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you, like I said, what Georgia faced last year, not knowing 100% of what you had, those guys are going to still face a little uncertainty, too. Yeah, but that early in the season, it's kind of a, it could be a gift, it could be a curse. Because, like, yeah, they don't. Maybe they won't be completely in rhythm well, with the I new think, coordinators, but we also don't know how much to scout them on. Like we can scout their coordinators at their previous stops, but with that particular team, we're gonna have the Temple game to go on week one. I mean, That's yeah, it. I get that, but I think defensively it's gonna help us because they don't have a lot of experience to build on last year. Where you can change, you can change so many things. We have experience because the guys know they can do it. They're you know mature enough. Where their offense is gonna be a little difficult, but defensively, I think it does help us because they just they don't have much depth and they don't have a lot of talent. They don't have any game changers. And I'd say in that entire front seven. I mean, Niles Morgan's a pretty good linebacker. He's solid. He's probably their best player in that front seven. But that defensive line is average as grits, man. I mean, we should have a field day running the football game. And I will say that. I just, my concern with Notre Dame, we'll get more into this as we get closer to that game, is how in the hell we're going to stop that offense. I, I, I'm very high on our defense this year. I mean, I, w- I was going back again. And I was talking about talking to you about this before the, the show. I went back and was watching some Notre Dame tape again last night, man. And that offense, I know they have a new quarterback, so that, that kind of throws a wrinkle in it. But the skill talent is unbelievable. And that offensive line is very, very good. Uh, so I, I think we're, that's going to be that's gonna be the challenge. Defensively, they're not very good. We should have a field day. So I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that a lot more as we get closer to that. But look, I don't necessarily disagree with anything that you said there. Everything you said was reasonable. But I'm just going to uh, kind of play devil's advocate here just for one second. All right, and I, and I know that you and I are both right, and thinking that somewhere between seven and five and twelve and zero, it's probably somewhere between. Yeah, that, right? I mean, I, I think we're. I think I don't think we're going twelve and zero, but I think we'd be closer to ten and two, nine and three, than a seven and five range. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Devil's Advocate here. So, if if you think we're closer to the eleven and one, twelve and zero range than seven and five, eight and four, that's going to require us to improve by four to five wins over last year. So, what is it exactly? Let's be real specific. Here. What? What are the biggest reasons that you have to believe that this team really has the ability to improve by four or five wins in one year? Um, I have to say the biggest thing is the way the schedule lays out. A lot of other than that three game stretch before we play a tough team, we don't have as, as big of a tough opponent like last year where we had. You know, we didn't have that. You it's know, spread out. The, at least the first half of the season is spread out pretty. Yeah, nice. the first half of the season, the schedule is favored in us. I think the, the teams we're playing, most of them taking a te- taking a step back. And at the same time, I think our team's going to take a step forward. Um, you know, you're hearing about them actually playing with an edge. I think right now. One of the biggest problems with our team last year at the same time was we didn't have a lot of players that were buying in. You had, you had a lot of these older upperclassmen that had gotten used to the, the you know, the style of where they weren't as held accountable and weren't, you know, made 
forced to do a lot of things that they were under this new staff. Um, and I think you're going to see more of this buying in, and I think that's holding these players accountable. And I think at the same time, that great recruiting class we had has created some quality depth that we just didn't have last year, which I'm going to get into later in the show. But the quality depth can change a lot about your team. It oh, no the doubt. Way you practice the way you play. I mean, you have players are more are held accountable. Now. Exactly. That's the key thing. It, you it, could, it creates accountability. It creates Honestly, accountability. last year, you could, especially the offensive line and a lot of other positions, you couldn't say, well, if you don't cut it, you, you, you know your butt's on the bench. Well, we couldn't do that last year. Well, this year, you know, that's a, that we, can, we have the power to. Yeah, you and I talked about that all last year because, you know, Kirby was always talking about accountability and how if you don't perform, you don't play. It's how you perform in practice, how you perform the game. That's how you determine your stars. No one's job is safe. And that was true in a lot of cases. You saw with John Briscoe, we finally moved him, after, moved him out of there after a couple games. But the one spot we never moved anybody was the offensive line, which is probably the most underperforming unit of the, on the entire team. Um, but I think like you're right. We just didn't have anybody really behind them to, to, to substitute in there. And Kirby said it all, season, he said it all season long last year when he was asked questions about the offensive line. He's like, if we had anybody better, we'd put him in there. Trust me. We just didn't have anybody. But I think this year we do have better, we have better competition there. We have better co- competition across the board, which, as you said, does create accountability. If you don't play well, if you don't perform up to expectations and, and up to the standard that we set, then you're not playing. Someone else is going to come in there. And I, I, that makes everyone better across the board. And that makes you a little uncomfortable and uneasy as a player. But you better get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's how it's going to be under Kirby Smart. And that's kind of how he cut his teeth under Nick Saban. That's just how he runs his program. And let me just say this real fast before we move on in reference to whether we are closer to 7-5 and five or 11-1 and one in 2017. Look, obviously I know that we were 7-5 and five last year. And we did that to ourselves, losing a couple of games that we had no business losing. So I'm not trying to make any excuses. We lost those games. It's our fault. It, there's no one to blame but ourselves there. But if you look at it by the numbers, as a whole, we actually performed much better than your typical 7-5, and 8-4 and four caliber team. We had a team that should have been, based on the talent on the roster, better than 7-5. and five. Uh, We just made crucial mistakes at the wrong times in a couple of games. You can look at Vanderbilt, you can look at Tech, that's, I hate bringing it up, but in Tennessee, those three games right there, should have won all three of those games. We just screwed, our, we screwed ourselves over at the end. It's our fault. Um, and I, I know it's easy to say, and most fans, any fan base, want to say, well, you know, yeah, we finished 7-5, but we were better than 7-5 last year. We had a better team than that. So I know it's easy to say. So let me just give you some numbers to, to back it up here uh, for just a few minutes. So if you look at total yardage differential last year, which is very simply it's the total yards your team gained minus the total yards your team surrendered to their opponents, which I think does a really good job kind of showing you how good a team really was. It doesn't mean you're going to win every game, but it just kind of shows you where you were and how you, how, where you are and kind of how your team performed in any given year. But last year in total yards differential, we were plus 744 yards, which put us fourth in the SEC last year behind Bama, LSU, and Auburn. It also put us ahead of Florida, who happened, we all know, finished ahead of us in the SEC East and represented the East in Atlanta. Um, but let me give you some context here, kind of show you where that plus 744 would typically fit. Here are a few teams from last year from around the country in a bunch of different conferences that finished in the 7-5, and 8-4 and four range. And I'm also going to give you their total yard differential uh, to kind of show you what teams in the 7-5, and 8-4 and four range typically finish in that category. So Arkansas last year in the ACC was 7-5. and five. Their total yard differential, minus 182, which is pretty par. That's par for the course for a 7-5 team. That's, that's about right. Uh, Kentucky, also 7-5 last year. They were minus 117 in total yards differential. Again, pretty par for the course for a 7-5 team. That aligns pretty closely what a 7-5 team usually is. Tennessee was 8-4 last year, a little better than Arkansas, Kentucky, and they finished with a total yards differential of plus 328, which is about right for an 8-4 type team. If you go to the Big Ten, Iowa uh, finished the regular season 8-4 last year in the Big Ten with a total uh, yards differential of minus 340 yards. 
Pitt, 8-4 and four out of the ACC last year. Their total yardage differential was minus 78. Uh, K-State out of the Big 12, 8-4 also last year. Their total yardage differential plus 14. So I give you those numbers from around the country to show you that's typically what a 7-5, 8-4 caliber team is. Somewhere around the, you know, the minus 100s to plus... 100 or 200, you know, with a few exceptions. So that's typically what an 8-4, 7-5 type team is. And those teams from all over the country are your typical 7-5, 8-4 type teams. And those teams were 7-5, 8-4 because that is what the talent on their teams dictated as evidenced by their total yards differential. But for us, it was a different story. Our total yards differential didn't align with your typical 7-5, 8-4 team. Like I said, we were just so young and experienced at so many spots and on the coaching staff. Let's not forget that that we just made debilitating mistakes at the wrong times. And if we just get that straightened out, we will easily surpass the 7-5, 8-4 mark this year. And then when you also factor in the influx of supremely talented players, young players, but supremely talented players from the 2017 class, yes, they're unproven, but these guys, they have talent. It gives you legitimate reason to believe this team can potentially, no guarantees, but potentially make a 3-5 to five win jump in 2017. Um... Does, let's talk about Jacob Eason here for a second. Let's offensively. Is Eason going to take enough of a step this year for us to improve from seven wins? Let's, let's just be honest here. He was not good last year. Okay, He had moments. You know, Down the stretch against Missouri, he played really well. He played a big part of us winning that football game. He has the ice in his veins. At Kentucky, down the stretch, played really well. Made enough throws to win that game. Tennessee, he did enough to help us win that game. But for the vast majority of the season... Is it too much of a stretch to say that he just wasn't very good? Um, yeah, I think there, it was his play, his play calling, the players around him. All, a lot, there's a lot to go into it, but I think a, a majority of it did fall on him. And you know, so is he going to is he going to improve enough this year for us to move up to a, a potential 11 win type team? Is he going to take enough of a thing, step? He doesn't. The thing is, he doesn't have to play like a Heisman for us to win that many more games. People are acting like he has the best. You know, he has to go out there and win, play like a Heisman, and you know, put up a Heisman campaign for us to win to do that. That's not the case. I think as a team, all around the pieces, all around him, we have improved. If he just takes a step forward and improves his statistics by a couple points here and there in each point, each statistical category, then we're going to be in a lot better position to be ten and two, eleven and one. I agree with you. Here's my thing with Easton. Look, he's like I think a lot of people are expecting him or hoping, or like you said thinking that he has to take this gigantic step in year two for our offense to be better. And I'm with you. I don't think that's necessarily the case. He has to get better. He can't be the same quarterback he was last year because he was not good. Yeah, he has to get better, but he doesn't have to be a superstar in year two. And here's my thing with Easton. Look, I think he will be improved based off what I've seen. He's not going to be spectacular. I don't think he's ready to be spectacular in in his sophomore year. I think he'll be improved, but he's not ready to be spectacular. But here's the thing. Last year... He was absolutely 100% a liability for most of the year. He was. I, I don't think you can you can objectively sit here and say that he was not. He was an absolute liability for most of the year. He did help us win a couple of those games down the stretch. But one of the reasons some of those games were tight and we had to win down the stretch is because of his play up to that point in those games. Missing a lot of guys. And, and, his, and he was being late with throws. And anticipation was terrible. He was a liability. This year, that's not going to be the case. I don't think he's going to be spectacular. But I also don't think he's going to be a liability like he was last year. Is that fair? Yeah. And, and like, it kind of, that kind of goes to what you were saying. As long as he's not a liability and he does more to help us win than hurt us like he did at times last year, I think we're going to be just fine offensively because I think we're going to have more. I think we have a lot more talent across the board at, at the school position. Wide receivers, tight ends. They have the same guys at tight end, but the, these guys are a year older. They understand the system. Isaac Nottis spoke to that 
uh, early last week, I believe, when uh, he was being interviewed. I know these guys haven't really proven on the field yet, but I have no, and I've talked about this a couple times with the offseason, I have no concerns about a wide receiver. So based on what I've seen, I have absolutely zero concerns. We have all the talent in the world there. We have more uh, depth, which creates the accountability. You're going to push guys. Guys are going to get better. The competition's there. Uh, our, our offensive line, we'll get to that in a second here. But um, as, I think Easton will take a step forward. I don't know if it's going to be a gigantic step forward, but I think he'll improve on a lot of things. I think he'll improve on his accuracy to a degree. I think he'll probably be around the 60% range, and we've talked about that before. Um, I'm hoping that his anticipation improves. Is that Going back and watching uh, this offseason, watching every game I, I, four times. Is, I've ran through the entire season from last year four times now, uh, the third and fourth time this offseason. I actually just finished up round number four uh, early last week. And one of the things that stood out to me more than anything, obviously the deep ball accuracy was terrible, but his anticipation was almost as bad. You go back to the, the TCU game, I, since I just finished round four, that's the game I most recently went through and watched again. There were a couple of throws that could have been easy touchdowns that he was just so late on. He waited till and it's, it's a classic freshman mistake. It's not just, just Jacob Beeson. Freshman quarterbacks do this across the board. They, they wait until guys are open before they throw the football. They don't anticipate guys coming open and, and putting it out there before they maybe make the break out of their cut. Uh, or they cut out of their break. Uh, he he was he was wasn't great in that regard last year, and that cost us quite a few big plays. It cost us quite a few touchdowns, and frankly, it cost us a couple of games last year. It really did. Uh, so I, that's something he can improve on. The accuracy, we'll see, but I think the anticipation is part of just understanding what to do, being more familiar with the speed of the game. I think he will improve in that regard. His command of the huddle, leadership. I think all that's going to be improved. Knowledge of the system, all that's going to be better. And I think also Jim Chaney is going to kind of work the offensive scheme more so to fit his skill sets to a degree. Give him some more high percentage throws, some easier throws. That will help the completion percentage. Because for me, the biggest thing Eason has to do is just, you can sum it up in this word, efficiency. He has to be more efficient. That includes taking checkdowns when, when, when they're there and not force the ball down the field. That includes be, uh, having better anticipation and just being more accurate. He has to be more efficient. And part of that's on Eason, sure. But a big part of that is also on the offensive scheme and Jim Chaney giving him some of those easy, easy throws to help him work himself into a rhythm because if we're, one of the issues last year was an all-or-nothing thing with Eason. It, it, if we didn't hit the big ball down the field, which he didn't hit a ton of them, we constantly were finding ourselves in second and third and long, which is just not – with that offensive line we had last year, wasn't conducive to any sort of success. He's got to be more willing to take checkdowns. He did it from time to time last year. It wasn't like he never did it, but he, didn't, he did not do it consistently enough. So if he's more efficient, allows us to stay ahead of the chains – and stay out of those third and long situations. Maybe we have more third and manageable situations, second and manageable situations. I think our offense will take a, a nice, solid step forward this year. But it's all about being efficient. That's a lot of it's on Eason. A lot of it's also on Cheney on uh, allowing the offense calling plays to allow us to stay ahead of the chains there. Um, let's talk about the offensive line here for a second, Kurt. We've talked about this a, a, a lot this offseason. We really have. But now that we have maybe a better picture of what the offensive line potentially could look like week one. Uh, there's still a week or two left here before we know for sure what it's going to look like. But it seems like it's been pretty consistent over the past week. How much of a step forward is this offensive line prepared to take in your mind? Um, I don't know if you're going to see a huge step forward, but I think we're going to make take somewhat of a step forward. So I think we have some guys that are fit, you know, fit somewhat better for the scheme of what we want to do with our offensive line. And at the same time, um, I think we have – more, you know, once again, going back, we have some depth that creates some more competition that, you know, if these guys can't cut it, then we have some younger guys who are made, who are probably more talented, just not as experienced, you know, chomping to get in there. And I think if the guys don't cut it, then they will be able to come in. 
Yeah, and for those of you uh, who haven't necessarily been able to keep up with it, just and I know a lot of you probably are well aware of this, but just to give you an idea of what the offensive line has looked like over the past week or so, right now, since he's gotten back from his injury, his what, what did Curry call his illness, which was, from what reports sound like, it was a concussion protocol situation. But Isaiah Wynn is back at left tackle. We've got Pat Allen, who was moved out of the first-team unit for a week or so, but after the first scrimmage, moved back into the first-team unit. He's back there at left guard. You've got Gilliard at center. Uh, right now, we've got Solomon Kinley, who's been a—I mean, Kinley's going to play right guard. He's, he hasn't moved out of there since the spring, right? So, I mean, I think you can almost pencil him in there for right now. And then Andrew Thomas, who was getting some looks with the left guard, uh, with the left guard at, at, I'm sorry, at left guard with the first unit, and now has moved over to right tackle with the first unit. He looks like he's in the plans to play early on and to be in that first unit, right? That, that's what it looks like from now. So that's the unit that we've seen for the past week or so, and we'll see now that we've had the second scrimmage in the books, and we'll see what the, everybody comes out with this early this week. But from what Kirby said in the post-scrimmage press conference, it sounds like it's probably going to be much the same, probably do a little mixing and matching a little bit more. But are you comfortable? Real? Are you really comfortable with that unit? If that does end up being the unit that goes out there game one against Appalachian State, are you comfortable with that unit? Not with Pat Allen. I think everyone else but him. Yes, yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. I, I I'm actually, I, I feel good about it. The, I think that we have a better personnel fit, except for Pat Allen. And I was talking to one of my buddies about this today. Pat Allen, look, I have not seen him in a, an actual game setting. I, I haven't. I, I, I've seen him going back to when he was a recruit. Uh, I was at the Mark Rick camp back in the day. I actually remember him, his family rolling out uh, of the car, kind of pulling in late. He gets there, gets changed, goes out there, puts cleats on, and starts competing. I wasn't overly impressed with his physicality there. He wasn't a big guy. He was long and at that point. But he's a guy that, that we ended up taking, obviously. Was, has been an afterthought up until the spring. Kind of works himself, and to his credit, works himself into the first unit in the spring and is there right now. So the coach is obviously something. And, and we always say this, and I'll stick with it. I typically defer to the coaches, right? Because they see these guys day in, day out. This is their job. They do this professionally. They know a lot more about the situation than I do. But... If you look at the problem last year up front, especially on the interior of the offensive line, what was the issue with the interior of the offensive line last year, Kurt? Getting pushed back. Right. We, we, had no, we didn't have sufficient size, particularly to be the downhill offensive football team that we wanted to be. That's what we wanted our identity to be. And when you got Brennan Cablano, who's maybe 280, 285 pounds soaking wet, you have Isaiah Wynn playing left guard, who's essentially the same thing. Gilliard was the biggest of the bunch, maybe at 290, 295 for most of the year. That just simply wasn't big enough to be the kind of downhill rushing team we wanted. The size was the issue. The size and strength. Well... Solomon Kinley solves that. Moving Gilliard over to center, having a 300-pound center, that, that's, I'm, I'm fine with that at center. Centers are typically a little more undersized. But Pat Allen at left guard does not solve that issue at all. It's the exact same thing. He's maybe a slight bit bigger and stronger than Isaiah Wynn was last year that position, position, but not by much at all. So him there does not solve the issue. I'm of the opinion that... When he's ready, because he's not ready right now, that Isaiah Wilson might slide into that spot. Although Kirby said that Kendall Baker's a sixth man right now. But I, I think one of the reasons we moved yeah, Isaiah I think, Wilson. I, I think Kirby said that, but I don't believe that. Because just, you know, the last couple weeks has been, uh, you know, Dyshawn Sims is a sixth man. Yeah, um, that's, yeah. I, but, uh, that, that's what comp- but that's competition. It's going back to what Kirby yeah, says. I it's agree. about competition. Also, one one agree, week it might be you, one week it's the next guy. I also believe that I'm of the same belief of you that it's going to be Isaiah Wilson. You know, he's literally only had five practices at guard, so he's not going to be ready to and go And it's right not going to be early. I think at game, some point, at some point. Yeah, I could see game come game time, game one or game two. I could see him stepping into that role for this season. Um, and game one or game two? 
Yeah. Really, Isaiah Wilson? I mean, God, that'd be incredible. I don't. I'm, I'm talking I like mid year, maybe. He just has to get the plays down. I mean, you're looking at Andrew Thomas switching from the playing left tackle to left guard to right tackle. Yeah, but that's I mean, Kirby always talks about his maturity and how serious he takes this. I mean, I don't. I well, not, yeah, but I also think that that's going to push Wilson that much more to see Thomas taking up some of these first team reps. And the you more would hope it goes. I think that's going to drive Wilson that much more. And, and I'll be honest, no one else on our offense line, no guard or what, maybe Kenley, but. Of the guys who are, you know, who are a possibility of being replaced, like um, Pat Allen and them, they don't have the skill set to hold off Isaiah Wilson. When Wilson figures it all out, the question is, when is Wilson going to figure it out? Because physically, he, well, we, we talked about I'll this before, this, he's ready. Those guys, those guys are all upperclassmen, and they haven't figured it out. Well, I think that the problem is those guys have figured out what to do, but they, they don't have the body type and size and strength to necessarily execute it like we want it to be executed. And that's that's the difference. Wilson, right now, the dude is physically ready right now to play. I got no issues with that. It's a mental thing with him right now. I'm not calling the guy dumb or anything. He's just got to learn the system, and it's it's tough for any true freshman. So I think once he's ready from a mental standpoint and understanding the system and understanding what to do, and our coaches feel comfortable in there, he clearly is a physical upgrade. It's just a matter of him learning what to do. And once he learns what to do, I think he very well could slide into that left guard spot. Because why else would we have moved him from right tackle to left guard? Other than thinking that you know there might be a deficiency at left guard, we need some more size. There, a guy that we have right now in the first unit, he's more prepared to play right now because he understands the system, he knows what to do. But we're not necessarily thrilled with his size, right? Does that make sense? And and then you got Isaiah Wilson. We say you know we we think this guy is the better fit there right now. Maybe not long term, at least right now. Hopefully long term, more more of a right tackle move. Thomas over left tackle. But we've got to, he's got to learn what to do, and there's no way for him to learn what to do unless he gets over there and gets some work and practice. And you're right, he's only had maybe a week of time at left guard. So I don't know. I, I'm not as optimistic as you saying week one or week two that he figures it all out. I would well, say – You also have to account for the guys before him just not cutting it either. Yeah, I mean that, and that's the, that's, the th- that's the balance that coaches have to strike here. They have to make a decision. What is more important, a guy knowing what to do or a guy being physically capable to actually do what you know you're supposed to do? And there's there's a there's a, a fine line there. You, you can't have a guy in there that doesn't know what to do because blown assignments get you killed just as easily as not being able to physically block a guy. In fact, maybe even more easily. Get somebody killed back there. So you've got to get like, – what percentage is it uh, – are you ready and prepared to put – Wilson, there's, is if, if you feel like he knows 75% of the offense, does he have to know 90% of the offense? you have to feel comfortable to that degree for him to go in there? Like, at what point do you say, okay, you know what? He doesn't completely know everything they're supposed to do, but he knows enough. And that's that's a question that I can answer. The coaches have to answer that. We'll see. We're, we're going to have to sit back, eat popcorn, and, and watch. Uh, but I don't know, man. First or second week, I don't know if he's going to have it down by then. I hope so, man. That'd be incredible if we could roll into Notre Dame with him up there. Um I would say put more like week four ish, week four to week six. I think I would say at least by mid year, I would feel comfortable he knows enough of what to do to see some good playing time and see if he can go in there and make some things happen. But I don't know. You might be right. Don't know. All right. Uh, let's talk about the defense here for a few minutes. Now, the general consensus among those that have picked us to represent the East and Atlanta, uh, which is basically the mainstream media out there, most, not everybody, but you know, they've, enough of them picked us to be the favorite SEC media days um, in the SEC East. And the general consensus among those people seems to be that our defense is clearly the strength of this team, and our offense will probably be slightly improved, but it's our defense that's going to carry us throughout the early part of the season, and heck, maybe even most of the season. So, and, so Kurt, do you actually agree with that assessment? Is the defense really good enough this year to carry us to an East Championship if, if required to do so? Um, I actually believe they are, and it shouldn't, it's not because of how dominant or good they'll be but I also believe other than Notre Dame especially the teams in the east none of them have 
office, offenses that are going to blow you away, other than maybe Missouri can put some points on. But other than that, there's not many of that teams out there that are going to have stud offenses that you're going to have to, you know, sit there and say, Shh, you know, darn, we're going to have to score 40 points to beat them. That's not the case with a lot of the teams. Well, see, okay, that, that's the thing with this defense. So this defense has to be good enough to – hold those great offenses in check. Go back to last year. Our defense was, we were almost top 15. We were number 16 nationally in total defense. But when we played teams with a pulse offensively, we didn't fare very well. When we played Missouri, who led the league in offense last year, almost 500 yards a game, at least in that first half, they ate us a lot. They did whatever they wanted in that first half. Then we played uh, Tennessee. You know, they were they they moved the ball fairly well for most of the game against us. You go at Ole Miss, and then this is before Chad Kelly got hurt. So when Ole Miss was rolling offensively, had all those playmakers out wide, those big receivers. They, they what was it, 45 nothing at one point? They, it was it was a clown show out there. It was a joke. Now, when we played teams like South Carolina that had no pulse, we were fine. We played Vanderbilt. We held them in check. They had, their offense was, was nothing. Even Florida, we held them in check because their offense was terrible. Kentucky, we managed to hold them fairly in check. Auburn, they were completely devastated offensively. Cam Petway was out. You had a quarterback with one arm out there. Against those teams, our, our defense fared very well. Against the better offenses on the – and you can say this about any defense. Obviously, against the better offenses you play, any defense yeah, has a little I mean, more trouble. Out, but still, but still the better. difference against those better offenses we faced was pretty dramatic. It was pretty dramatic. Well, yeah, so we've got to get to where we can stop those offenses. All men still almost outscore Bama. That's true. I mean, that's true. And you can say the Clemson, the same thing for for Alabama. I mean, they've, they've had trouble within the past couple yeah, of years. And, see, but I, and that's the thing. We're not going to be facing as many teams that have a pulse offensively this year. It's one reason I think why our defense may be able to carry us a lot of the way. I think that's largely true. Uh, we do substitute Mississippi State for Ole Miss, who I know didn't end the season great last year, but... We got them when they were still completely healthy and running all, on all cylinders offensively there with Jack Kelly running the show at quarterback. Uh, Tennessee, they, obviously, we know we've talked about this. They lost most of their key offensive playmakers. And, and, look, they really do look poised to take a step back on that side of the ball. Vandy is what Vandy is offensively. They might be mildly improved, but, I mean, it's, it's still a Vandy offense. Uh, but I will say I do think that Auburn will be better offensively if Gus Malzahn truly does hand over the reins to Chip Lindsey. And we still do have Missouri on the schedule, and that was the number one offense in the SEC last year. I also think South Carolina is going to feature an improved offense with Bitley under center for a full season and all the returning playmakers he has around him. And then also, you know, Florida, depending on the quarterback situation, they'll likely be at least a little bit better offensively. But, you know, back to what you were saying, you're right in saying that as a whole, we don't have too many crazy daunting offenses to face this season, at least based on what we know right now. Um, I do think Missouri's going to give us fits, and so may Auburn, but I, I think your point stands for the most part. Okay, and I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this. If you look at the numbers last year outside of our red zone defense issues, and that's well chronicled, and we all know the issues there, but outside of that, our defense was good last year, and at times you could even say our defense was very good last season. Not all the time, but there were moments. But you and I talked about this before, and uh, we both agree that look, we, we weren't an elite defensive unit last season, so this year... Trying to project forward, do you think our defense will take another step in year two under Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker and attain elite status? Uh, I know that word elite is very subjective, so let's go ahead and just define that as a, a top five unit in total D. We were 16th nationally in total defense last year. Do you see us as a defensive unit that's going to be capable of jumping into that top five level? I don't see us being, uh, you know, on the verge of being a top five team. No, we'll be closest at the top eight, and I think that's really on the from the fact that we don't have any shutdown defensive backs. Do you consider a top 10 defense, a, a top 8 level defense, do you consider that an elite defense? 
Um, not as much as it is top five because if we were well, 16 clearly. last year, what we had. I mean, I'm just saying compared to what we had, we were as. I mean, when we were. When we were as high as we were with Jeremy Pruitt, did we have an elite defense? No. no. But we we masked what we had. So you don't yeah. have to be an elite defense to be ranked high. But to be ranked in the top five, the top three range, you do have to be elite because you, you don't have to mask everything like we were doing. Yeah, I think this defense, I, I'm with you completely on this defense being a, a top 10 caliber defense. Top five is probably pushing it a little bit. I mean, that's Alabama range, and I don't think we're there yet. I think across the board personnel wise you mentioned the secondary I still have some questions and concerns there I really like our front seven we've talked about that throughout the offseason but I'm going to ask you this okay we just talked about as as a whole that this defense is going to be pushing towards a more of an elite status but maybe not quite in that top five level how many elite players defensively do we have on this unit if you had to count them up who are, who are the truly elite caliber players on this defense right now right now I say we have four who is that um, Roquan, Natrez, John Ledbetter, and Trenton. You'd put Natrez in an elite category? I do because I think the guy is a game changer. You saw what happened to our defense when we didn't have it. I think he has the potential to do that. I don't know. Based on his play. Well, it I, also depends on how he's used. I mean, he's not going to be yeah, in the all pro. He's thing. not going to be all SEC. But he is a game changer for us. And if you're a game changer, I consider you an elite player. Yeah, I think we need to use him to rush the passer more this year. And I think that we will because I think that's a part of his skill set that we haven't necessarily. And we used it some last year, but not. To the degree, I think we probably could. Um, but yeah, look, I think Nature has, to this point in his career, which he's had one full season of starter, I think he was he was moving close to that, that status. I think he was a very good player. He hasn't been elite yet, but I think he has the potential to do that, If depending on how we utilize him. I think that's a fair assessment there. Roquan, a million percent, is an elite player. I think he might be the best linebacker in America. I, I, I truly believe that. I know you can sit here and say, I, I look at the world through red and black glasses, and yes, I do. But, again, I've watched every game from last season four times through. I'm not talking just sit there and watch. I rewind, watch, and just really dig into it. And Roquan Smith, every single game, every time I've gone through, it stands out to me as the best player, not on the defense, on the entire team. Like, I think Roquan Smith is the best player on our entire football team. I think he's the best linebacker, one of, if not the best linebacker in America. So, yeah, he's absolutely elite. Uh, I think Trent – has Trent performed at an elite level at this point in his career? Not consistently, but is he elite? Uh, yeah, he has, the, he has the ability and the potential to be elite. I, I agree with you. And if we see what we saw from Trent in the bowl game last year against TCU, that's an elite player, that version of Trent Thompson. We just don't always see that version of Trent Thompson. So if we see that more consistently, Trent Thompson's an elite player. And I'm with you. You know, you, If you guys listen to the show, you know our, our feelings on Jonathan Ledbetter. Uh, I think he's one of the more underrated players on the team and maybe the SEC at large. And part of that's because he did miss the first half of the year last year. But I think he's poised for a breakout year and is going to be an elite five-tech guy for us, do a lot of really good things for us. So, yeah, I think that's that's probably it though, right? I mean, Dominic yeah. Sanders. I mean, some, you hear some people talk about how Dominic Sanders is, is a guy that could be in that category. You I know can't be elite if you can't tackle. Right. I mean, he's a four year starter, and I get that, but he he's a good player, and I and I'm glad that we have his his versatility, I guess, to a degree. Uh, well, actually, is he that versatile? I I don't actually. He's not because he, you're right. He's not a great tackler. He's he, he does a really good job playing a center fielder type safety. He knows what to do. Get guys. He can get guys in position. And I respect that you need a guy like like that out there to take charge, but he's not an elite player. Like he, he's just not. Uh, Malcolm Parrish, I like Malcolm Parrish. I think he does some really good things for, especially tackling out there on the perimeter. But he's not an elite player. DeAndre Baker, uh, I, I think he's a good cover guy, but he's not elite right now. Unless he hasn't shown that. Aaron Davis is no, he's the guy that's got the versatility. He can play in the star, can play safety, can play corner. Uh, but he's not elite. He's good. All these guys are good, solid players, but they're not elite. So for me. It's, it's hard to call them a weakness because I don't think 
it's a weak secondary, you know. But in terms of the the the, the whole of the defense, that's if there was a vulnerability, it is that secondary because we don't have elite players. Well, we have at least some elite options on the on the defensive line, and we have some linebackers who one I absolutely one hundred percent think is already elite, and one who could definitely definitely push himself into that category if um, he has a good year this year. All right, so look, you and I aren't that far apart in this defense. I think this is a really good defense, and I do think they can carry us to an SEC East title. Uh, I don't think our let me ask you it this way. If our offense is about on the same level as it was last year, is this defense good enough for us to still win an SEC East title with that offense being what it was last year? No. I think I'm with you. I think our offense is going to have to take at least moderate steps forward. I think our defense is going to be good. I don't know if it, yeah, I don't think it's a, an Alabama level defense that you can win just by rolling your head out there offensively. I don't think it's that type of defense yet. I think it will be in the future. Um, but not quite yet. I think our offense is going to have to do carry its weight to a degree. But I, I, obviously the defense should be the strength of this team uh, throughout this year. All right, and real quickly here, before we move into some more fun stuff, let's talk about special teams here for a minute, Kurt. From a special teams perspective, this was another area that was disastrous at times last year. What gives you reason to believe we will improve in that phase of the game this year? Um, I think one biggest thing is, you know, I've been talking about it the whole time, is depth. I think we actually have some depth and competition. I mean, you've already heard that it looks like the graduate transfer guys has won the punting job, and last year we didn't have that. I mean, we had to end up going back to Bryce Ramsey. Um, so I think that right there, just having that competition has, you know, shown that I think it's going to make us better because I think we actually got the best out of what we have. And at the same time, you know, I think Rodrigo, as he once he got the position, there was no competition. William Ham was a deer in the headlights. Well, William Ham's not on the team anymore. So you're right. There absolutely was no competition. Um, so I think this guy out here has really pushed Rodrigo. Yeah. I mean, now it's not just his daddy saying he deserves it. Well, he has to actually come out and show it now. Yeah, um, David you know, Marvin from Wofford is, another, is, the, is the graduate transfer you're talking about uh, I mean, who's he, pushing he, him. You can't blame it just on not having his green tea for a, a couple games not putting the end zone. No, he's going to actually have to do it consistently. By the way, have you seen this, David? Have you seen a picture of this David Marvin guy? No. He looks like he's 48 years old. I'm pretty sure he might be 48. But it's okay. Uh, he's got he's and he's got the the stronger leg um, at least reportedly maybe not as accurate on field goals but it seems like the the actual field goal kicking competition they're locked in a, in a dead heat right now according to Kirby Rod uh, Rodrigo had a really good day at the sh- a second scrimmage kicking off which is surprising if you watched him last year because that was in my opinion his biggest weakness uh, he he was fine kicking field goals he didn't have a great leg but he couldn't get the ball in the end zone and didn't get enough hang time on it so if he's improved that's great. Um, but 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 you're exactly right. The competition is the key there. I know we keep saying that, but it's true. And it's not just the kicking and punting. It's also the the coverage units. Think about this. this maybe the biggest area that this 2017 signing class will will give, or at least the, the area they'll give us maybe the biggest boost in year one. I mean, so there's gonna be some guys who are definitely gonna play and perhaps even start like Andrew Thomas. But on the special teams coverage units, all those guys are gonna be out there at giving everything they've got to make. The, to make one of those units because that's how you make the travel roster. If you want to go to Notre Dame for a once-in-a-lifetime trip, you better be on one of those special teams. So if you're a guy like Nate McBride, Monty Rice, Jaden Hunter, any of those guys, you're out there busting your tail trying to get on one of those units. And we we didn't have as many of those guys last year that, that were pushing for those jobs. So I think by virtue of the increased competition, yes, the punting and kicking will, will likely be better. There's more accountability, but I think you'll also see it on the coverage units as well. What about the return game, though? Um, I think, you know, we'll miss Isaiah McKenzie, but I think we got some guys out there. Um, you know, Nicole's finally in a position. Uh, I think he's ready to do it. And I think at the same time that you'll see a, 
um, Crompton come in there, you know, those two guys, I think, can, you know, solve, solve a lot of problems. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's hard to sit here and say that we're going to be, that we're going to be just as good without Isaiah McKenzie, because, I mean, he was an all-time great return man for us, and he's going to probably start for, looks like he's going to start for the Denver Broncos. I mean, the guy's, the guy was a playmaker, absolutely. But, I, and I don't know if the guys that are going to play, they're going to take that job this year are going to play up to his level, but I'm okay, I feel okay about it. Like, I'm not really that concerned, because I think Miko, uh, is a guy that can definitely fill in as, as a great kick returner, and I think he could, he could do a great job at punt return as well. Uh, Kirby mentioned that after the last scrimmage. Uh, what, I, what I've seen from Akil Crumpton, uh, he's Isaiah, he's mini Isaiah McKenzie. Actually, he might be a little slightly bit bigger than McKenzie, about the same size, wears the same number, looks very similar out there. But I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off, which I know is hard to say when you're talking about replacing Isaiah McKenzie there, but I think we're going to be okay. There might be a slight drop-off, but I don't think it's going to be anything significant. And I think we have a, a major upgrade at, at kick returner, right? I mean, getting Reggie Davis out of there and putting in probably Miko or whoever it is back there, anyone's going to be better than Reggie Davis. Yeah, anyone's better. Yeah, it's just, that's just going to be the case. I think we're going to definitely improve there as well. Uh, all right, let's do a couple quick things here. I'm going to have a little fun, kind of wrap the show. We don't want to talk about all the different players. It's hard to talk about every single player and do this in uh, the, the time frame that we have here for our podcast. So we're going to do a couple different th- things here. Try to have a little fun with this. So what we're going to do first, we're, we're going to do some little word association here in just a minute. But first, Carl, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm, I'm going to give you two players at a time, and I just want you to tell me which player you think is going to have a bigger impact on this year's team. Make sense? Yeah. All right. So first two here, Mikkel Harbin or Akil Crumpton? Uh, Mikkel, because right now it's you know being reported that he's getting some first-team looks in the slot. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of really good things coming out of camp right now about Mikkel and the, the progress he's made from where he was in the spring. And Kirby's right. He mentions this you know, he's when you talk about Miko, he mentions this a couple of times that he, yes, he's electric and he has that skill set, but catching the ball is not natural for him. Because he did not play receiver in high school. He was a he was basically a shotgun quarterback guy. He's catching snaps, but actually catching passes coming right at him and getting hit. As soon as you catch the ball, that wasn't his thing. But he's apparently taking some really big strides, and he's got all all the talent in the world to do. I think he's going to be a major weapon for us this year. I think that Crumpton will be too, but I think I'm going to go with Miko also. I think Miko might potentially be uh, finding himself in a starting role there at some point in the season. Uh, all right, next two here, DeAndre Swift versus Jeremiah J.J. Holloman. Oh, that's easy. I'm going to go J.J. Holloman. I think he's going to work himself into the two deep easily and get some chances and make some catches. He was definitely getting some work with the ones uh, at the scrimmage on Saturday. I uh, was could not get in. Kirby had it on lockdown. I tried to get in there. I tried to go, even go on the bridge and watch. We actually had a couple of GAs up there. Actually, one GA shooing people away. I thought long and hard about trying to sneak in, but it was not. I decided it wasn't worth it in the end. But what I did see is I was making my way slowly across the bridge trying to catch what I could see. In addition to seeing um, Richard LeCount out there working with the ones at safety, I did see J.J. Holloman getting some reps with the ones as well. So I'm with you. I think Swift's going to – he's going to have a role in this team, but he's not going to start. Uh, he's going to be more of a, of a change-up kind of guy and get into certain situations, whereas J.J. Holloman, I think you're right. I think he's going to be in the rotation as a regular contributor. All right, next two here, Trent Thompson versus Lorenzo Carter, two guys that are in need of big years and in need of showing they can be more consistent players. I'm going to go Trent because I think he's um... – even though he's been inconsistent, he's still been more consistent than Lorenzo. And when Trent has been the best version of himself, his the best version of Trent's self, I think, is better than the best version of what we've seen of Lorenzo. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that's easily. Yeah, to this point. So if Trent can get to where he's more consistent, we more consistently see that best version of Trent Thompson, I mean, he might be one of the best tackles in the league, if not the country. He's just got to do it more consistently, like he did against TCU, where he was just a freaking monster destroying people. 
All right, next here, uh, two freshmen, Richard LeCount versus D'Angelo Gibbs. Well, that's a tough one. I'm going to yeah. go Gibbs, I think, just because he has a little bit more versatility. Yeah, you know, uh, that's where I would probably go first. And if you if I would have asked this question before Saturday, I would have said Gibbs hands down. Um, but Gibbs, while he has been seemingly ahead of LeCount, to this point, although Gibbs has been playing primarily the star, where LeCount's been getting most of his looks at safety, it seems like Gibbs, his path to starting was a little, he was closer to starting than LeCount was. But it looks like LeCount somewhat caught up. And I know they're playing different positions right now, but LeCount, with the injury to Parrish, just found himself working with the ones, which he was not doing before, whereas Gibbs had been working some with the ones. And actually, I honestly thought that with the injury to Parrish, we were going to move Davis over to corner, which happened, but I thought we were going to move Gibbs and as the starting star there, that, that made the most sense to me since he was working as the number two guy there. But at least what I saw out there on Saturday was that, and maybe it was just one package. I just saw a very small bit of it. We moved J.R. Reed up from safety to the star position and inserted uh, LeCount in at safety, which would seem to suggest that right now our coaches feel a little more comfortable with him than Gibbs, which is not exactly what I thought coming into uh, Saturday. Because when we watched at the, the open practice, Gibbs was the one getting time with the ones, not LeCount. But... I don't know. I'm still going to go Gibbs. Is that even though the count maybe because with the count, the the fact that he's getting work with the ones is completely a function of Parrish getting hurt. Now, Parrish is only going to be out for two to four weeks, right? So once that once he gets back in there, I think Gibbs is the one that's more likely to work himself in the starting lineup. But we'll see. I think they both are going to see plenty of time this year. I do. All right, last one here, the wide receiver position. And this is one that I, I've kind of gone back and forth on: Riley Ridley or Javon Wims. I'm gonna go Wims. Uh, I think he's just more of a deep ball threat. I think they both. I think they're very similar players. Wims is a little bit bigger right now. Um, he's about six four, two twenty ish. I just think he's more prepared right now from what we've seen. You know, he, Ridley missed a little bit in the spring. He also may or may not be suspended open the season. Who knows? And it's just one game if it is. But I, from what we understand and what what I've seen, what little bit I have seen during the off season. Wims and Eason seem to have some sort of, have struck up a pretty solid rapport out there. Not to mention, not to, not to say that Ridley and Eason don't work well together. They do, but Wims and Eason seem to have this kind of connection out there. Uh, I like the big body. I think I think do think he is a, a good solid deep threat for us last year. He showed that a couple times down the stretch last year, and Ridley did as well. I've gone back and forth. I I don't know. I, I think one of these two guys will probably end up being our number one receiver on the year. I'm with you though. If I had to pick one right now, I'm gonna go Javon Wims. I think he's He's a little more mature. He's an older guy. He's got a little bit bigger body. Easton seems to like what he, what he sees out of Wims. So I'm going to go Wims there, although I think the difference there is negligible. All right. Uh, last thing here before we get into to our uh, summation. Have a little bit more fun here. We're, we're, we've done this in the past a little bit, but we're going to bring it back here for today's preview show, and that's a little word association. Just a fun and different way to run through the roster. Kurt and I are going to take turns throwing names of players at each other, and we're going to respond to that with the first thing that comes to mind. Doesn't necessarily have to be one word, but a short phrase at most. So, Kurt, I'm gonna I'll start first. I'm gonna throw some names at you, and then we'll kind of flip it around. Sound good? Yep. All right, Jacob Eason. Um, hopeful. I like it. Trent Thompson. Driven. Ooh, driven. Yeah, coming off that that issue that he had in the off season. Terry Godwin. Uh, finally, time. I like it. Isaiah Wynn. Uh. Overrated. <laughs> Overrated. Oh, don't hold back. Aaron Davis. Uh, Jack, uh, Swiss Army Knife. Swiss Army Knife, yeah, that's where I would have gone. J.J. Holloman. Mm, on 
the on the brink. I like it. Natrez Patrick. Almost there. Nick Chubb. Um, finally back. Davin Bellamy. Solid. And last one here, Kirby Smart. Uh, learning. Learning. All right. I like it. I like it. All right. I don't care who it is. Just none of those guys. Throw a couple at me. See if I can do this. All right. I'll probably Serviceable but unspectacular. Um, Blazevich. Vulnerable to being overtaken at his position. Baker. Kendall Baker? No, uh, DeAndre. Oh, DeAndre Baker. Uh, good cover guy. Um, let's go with uh, Reggie Carter. Valuable reserve. Not as a starter, but valuable as a reserve. Um, ben Cleveland. Barrel-chested freak. Um, and then lastly, we'll go with um, Elijah Holyfield. Oh, uh, Holyfield, I'm going to go with forgotten and undervalued. I'm go with that. Undervalued. I, think, I don't know if he'll ever have a, an actual spot on the team. He might have transferred at some point. But I think the guy, if he was pressing a service, he, he would do just fine for us. All right, uh, last thing here. In summary of our conversation today, if you had to identify one thing, if you had to identify one thing that this season hinges on, what would that be? Um, I think the biggest thing is to be consistency. In, in anywhere in particular or just across the board? Across the board. I mean, we're just have to be consistent in what we do. Um, You know, last year we couldn't. Sometimes we could run the ball. Sometimes we couldn't. Sometimes we could throw decently. Sometimes we couldn't. I think, and then defensively, you know, we got to be able to be consistently getting after the passer. All those things. We just got to be consistent. Yeah, I really like that, man. That's 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 a really good way to go there. That's a good way to sum it all up. Because you're right. I mean, like even Easton last year, I I was kind of dogging on him earlier, saying that he just wasn't that good last year. That's true. But there were moments where he showed that he was he could be that quarterback that we all hoped he would be. Like, he showed that he could do it, and that's why I have hope for him this year. I've seen him do it. He just didn't do it nearly consistently enough. So if he becomes more consistent, the offensive line can become more consistent. There were games last year where our line was fine. Against South Carolina, if you go back and watch that game, we, we ran the ball almost at will against them. Against Kentucky, we ran the ball really well. You know, we handled that defensive front pretty well. Uh, but we just didn't do it game in, game out, down in, down out, drive in, drive out. Or drive out. We just didn't do it. So, yeah, I'm with you. Consistency... That's, that's a huge key for this team, and that's that's a tough thing to match, especially across the board, but hopefully we'll move closer in that direction. All right, for me, and I've talked about this a couple times, so this probably doesn't sound like anything new to a lot of you guys, but I, I'm just, I have to stick with it because I truly 100% believe it. I think our defense is going to be fine. I think our defense is going to be very good, maybe not quite elite, but very good. Um, for me, offensively, for us, we have, to take, we have to take at least a minor step forward offensively, and for that to happen, the biggest thing for me is we have to have an answer for stacked boxes. That's how defenses attacked us all last year, and I can guarantee you that's how defenses are going to attack us this season until we show them that, that, that that's not that, – unless we make them pay for it. Until we make them pay for it, until we respond and force them to adjust and make them pick their poison more or less, defenses are going to continue to do that to us, and we're not going to have much more success than offensively than what we had last year. And like you said earlier – our defense is going to be good this year. But if our offense doesn't take at least a couple of steps forward this year, I'm not sure as good as our defense is going to be, I'm not sure it's going to be good enough to carry us all the way to the SEC title game if our offense does not improve some. So, like I said, I've said this a few times over the past month. I'm sticking with it, though, because after a summer where I went through every one of our games from last season with a fine-tooth comb for the third and fourth time, I firmly believe 
that for this unit to make any progress, one of two things has to happen. Either one, the pass game has to improve to the point that we can throw defense out of those looks and make them pay, or number two, the offensive line has to be able to, to consistently open holes and create room to run against those eight and nine men boxes. And uh, it really not, one, of the, one of those two things has to happen for this offense to take any steps forward. Now, if both of those things happen, that's when this offense could become truly explosive. I just don't know if I'm ready to go out on that limb right now and say both those things are going to happen. I think option one is what's going to happen. I think our passing game is going to improve this year. And it's not just Easton. That's a big part of it. But the receiving core, the tight ends, I think we'll be a little bit better in pass protection. Um, so if the passing game improves, I think our offense will take steps forward. Uh, and I, I've said that for the past couple weeks now, and I'm sticking with it. All right, guys. Well, that'll do it for our official season preview. Like I said, we've been kind of been previewing the season the entire offseason. We kind of want to take a bigger picture look at everything, though, here today. So hope you guys enjoyed the show. Again, make sure you're sending your listener mailbag questions into us before the show later this week. You can send that to us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com and check us out on the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. Uh, and the next week we'll have our season prediction show for you guys. We're going to predict uh, both the East and the West, how each team's going to finish. And uh, obviously we'll be talking a lot about our season where we're going to end up our season and then this is the next show of last week, of next week, the last show of next week, will be our official, our first game preview show, previewing the Appalachian State game. So make sure to check back with in with us this week and next week, guys. We'll have you covered all season long. Can't freaking wait! It is almost here. We're definitely in the so close but so far away mode, but it'll be here before we know. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, go Dawgs. <laughs>